Your name is Stryker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called tuna on toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music and I love those that create it. Stryker's here. Tuna on toast. Yes. Tuna on toast. All right. Welcome to another episode of Tuna on Toast. It is Ted Stryker. Full disclosure. This intro, before we get to the podcast featuring Kevin Lyman, who created Warp Tour, I'm not in the Tuna on Toast studio. It's 4th of July weekend, and I'm sitting here in Palm Springs, and I realized, holy S, I have not done the intro. I thought I did it at home in the studio. So I've got my laptop, I've got a USB cord plugged into this like uh, very small uh, silver microphone, and I do have headphones on. I think it sounds pretty good right now. So Kevin Lyman, back in 1995, created Warp Tour. Why did he start Warp Tour? We get into that. What was he doing the years leading up to that? How much money did he have to spend to start Warp Tour? Did he make any money in the beginning? Uh, was it always Vans that was involved? By the way, the answer is no. And wait till you hear who almost was the title sponsor. I get into things with Kevin like, who are bands you saw that you knew automatically were going to be huge? He names a few. Who are bands that you saw that you thought would be big and then they totally disappeared? This guy has such a wonderful outlook on life. He's also a very generous guy, a smart guy. He roots for people around him to do well. And one thing that I learned just before he came over to the house was, He's a professor at USC. He's been doing that for quite a few years now. Imagine you want to be in the music industry, whether that's working at a label, management, um, being a promoter for concerts, whatever it is, and Kevin Lyman is your professor. But if you're 19 years old, do you know who Kevin Lyman is? You don't unless you look him up. Then you look him up and you're like, okay, I definitely need to listen to this person. We also discussed things like why Warp Tour came to an end, why the year 2017 was just so awful for him personally and professionally. There were certain things happened on tour and on the internet that really, really knocked him down. I'm talking about death threats to him. So he explains all of that. And once again, I'm just super grateful for the honesty of the guests and they take the time to come over to my house, which is not the easiest of places to get to. Um, and friendly reminder, you can watch every Tuna on Toast episode on my YouTube channel, Tuna on Toast with Stryker. You can see the little studio, my guest bedroom. You can see what I'm wearing, what the guest is wearing. By the way, Kevin Lyman, it's one of the first summers in his entire life that he is not working. It was very much a trip for him. He walked in and he said, Stryker, I can't believe I'm at your house. It's the middle of summer. I'm not out on the road. This is so crazy. And of course, he was rocking some really good-looking shorts and a t-shirt that I wish I could wear. Thank you guys for spreading the word tuna on toast. It's bigger than ever as we sit here today. And it's also an uh, independent podcast in all ways. Uh, I basically do every single thing there is to do on this podcast to get it up and running. A shout-out to my cameraman, Sean Say. So, without any further ado, let's get to it. Here he is. Please welcome to the Tuna on Toast studio, Kevin Lyman. Watch your step, watch your head. 
I'll get the door that's your seat right, right there. Absolutely. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> he respects wood. Kevin Lyman respects <laughs> wood. Well, well, you know, it's one of those things. You start appreciating some of the things you have after all those years. Yeah. You know? And you look at all those rings. <laughs> they always tell a tale. Yes. But, you know, when they start overlapping too much, you better refinish and fix it up. Okay, you guys ready? Whenever you guys are ready. All right. All right. He is the founder of the Warp Tour, and for some reason, he's at my house. Kevin Lyman. Yeah, that was true. I was like, I get this email. Can you come by my? I'm sure. Yeah, it's been a long time, and it's yeah. nice to hear. You've got a new career kind of going, or not an, an advancement of your career. Yeah. And so that's great news. Thank and you, Kevin. It's nice to catch up with some people and have some time this summer to actually sit and talk to people. Well, you're dressed like you're actually on Warp Tour, right? You got the shorts, you got the comfortable shirt, and you're. Right, you're at my house in the middle of summer. What's that like? It's it's been really interesting. This summer, it's like a, a summer of guilt, almost like this guilt summer of like this is what people did. You know, I had the 25 years of Warp Tour, and then I had five years of Lollapalooza prior to that, and then before that, I was doing Golden Voice. You know, 320 shows a year for Golden Voice in LA, running them. Wow. So I never really had that summer, and now you know I've been traveling around in our Sprinter van, and we just we did a month there, and we're getting ready to go to Europe and. It's weird. And yesterday I was actually out with Pierre from uh, Simple Plan, played right. golf up in Ohio no. with him, and Bruce Fleur from uh, Red Light oh, Management, yeah. right. you know, yes. hanging out. And, and then the day before I went fishing out of Santa Barbara, I was driving home yesterday going, well, I better get, like, you, as you know, in this business, if, you, if people look at you, if you have any fun, you're supposed to work all the time. So they say. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. You, you know, you can't. You know, or your bands, if you're a manager and you to go on vacation, they think you're neglecting them or the agent doesn't pick up a call in an hour. And right now, literally, I can, you know, I'm taking that summer that I guess a lot of people would always hope. And, and people say, Kevin, you kind of earned it. So why not go enjoy it? You absolutely did earn it. And now the Sprinter van that you speak of, is this something that you used when you were touring on Warp Tour? Or is this something brand new that you purchased? Well, well I did up until, we purchased it right at the end of Warp Tour, and I used it for those final shows when we did the show up in San Francisco, and I went up and I had this new van, and I camped out backstage. It was like, you know, the last thing. And then even this summer, we went to... Uh, we went to Blossom Amphitheater in Cleveland right, and right. I contacted the promoter. I want to stop by and see everyone. And we got permission to camp in the parking lot. So very strange. We went and saw Miranda Lambert with Little Big Town. Just kind of, I, it, we were going through whatever show was there and a super yeah. fun night. And the, we're in a parking lot and the next morning I had to get up because we're the old, we had permission. So police didn't shade us off. Yeah. And we camped there and I was in an empty parking lot. Some great shots of just us nice. camping and my wife was totally cool about it and we had a great time and how long have you been married uh, we've been married uh 29 years wow so only four uh, i don't know right <laughs> in the beginning of your marriage yeah. is when you started well, warp tour right 16 days after our first child so i left a wife with a colicky baby and i risked every penny we had to go out and do this festival wow yeah. And when you say risked every penny to get it going, you had to invest your own money. Oh, and yeah. I'm speaking of Warp Tour, of course. Yeah, and all everything we've ever done, I've never n taken an investment in to get a startup. And a lot of people start their brands with an investment. I had worked all those years with Golden Voice, you know, right. 320 shows a year. Um, I was doing Lollapalooza. I was working. When you say you were doing Lollapalooza, sorry to interrupt, I want to yeah, get to everything. No. What exactly were you doing well, with Lollapalooza pre-Warp Tour? Well, in 1991, I was running all those shows, and that was like a big scene in L.A. Like, we were doing like five nights of Jane's Addiction at the Palladium. We were doing seven nights of the Ramones at the Anson Ford, and they were kind wow. of all overlapping. And I think I had that reputation of just being, well, one, the sober guy that was running the shows in L.A. And two, I, you know, I kind of, I did, 
they all respected the work I did. So uh, Ted Gardner, who just passed away, sadly, yes, yes. Uh, was, was working with uh, Jane's Addiction. And when that started to come together, they asked me to come out and be the first stage manager. And I was never on tour before. That was the crazy thing. <laughs> yeah, because I, I was a guy who worked in the city, like stayed home, worked every night. Yeah. And my first opportunity to really do a national tour was with Lollapalooza in 1991. And we went out there and it was really funny because I only almost lasted three days because I thought like in a club, you do everything. I always tell my students at USC that when you start small in the venue, you're doing everything. You're you know, doing the dressing rooms, you're loading equipment, you're doing security some nights, maybe you're running a little lighting desk. As you get bigger, it's departmentalized and you just kind of tear off sheets of paper and you okay. got a department in. Yeah. And then I went out on that first tour and I'm like, oh, I'll set up the front of house. I'll stage manage. I can do the barricade. <laughs> and uh, we were down, we, we started, and it was like the crazy beginning of this tour. It was where I kind of built that relationship with Ice-T that, that goes to this day. And Trent Reznor's down there trying to use new, new technology and none of it worked. Wow. And melted in the desert. And this is Lollapalooza and, just to keep making yeah, clear, 91. right? Yeah, okay. So wow. all of a sudden... I'm, I'm there and I'm running and it's hard. It's 114 degrees and Phoenix. We went to San Diego and I literally walked across the stage and passed out in a pile of towels. And a lot of the old hardcore touring guys were like, oh, they're the hotshot kids, done. Right. And yeah, I dragged yeah. myself up and uh, we did Irvine Meadows the next day. And uh, we toured and we toured that whole year. And then the second year I came back and I was kind of doing more production as well as stage manager. And the, by the third year, it was weird. I had this weird job. I was the artist liaison because there was like the management didn't really want to deal with the bands that much. So my job was to be the intermediary. So my, I was getting paid more money than ever. And I was teaching the monks how to play basketball that toured with like the Beastie Boys. That was like, the oh kind of my stuff I God, yeah. wow. What was it about management and the bands not wanting to deal with each other on the road? It, I think that, you know, Lollapalooza has gone on to great things in Chicago as sure. a standalone. But I think touring, they, they start taking certain things for granted. So I was kind of in my mind that a lot of the things that I did later on, I was kind of observing and learning from one, working in the clubs and venues, and then working on this tour. And, and one of those things I think a lot of people never really understood on Warp Tour was the the schedule. Remember, I, no one knew the schedule of the band. Right, you had the inflatable thing. The inflatable go up. Yeah, yeah you yeah. remember there, like, of course. And you guys would be grinding me, like, K-Ride would be like, like we need the schedule, we got I go, nope, we don't tell that, which, which I was really reflected on. That was when Henry Rollins was on that tour opening mm. in 1991. And yeah. you've seen Henry and it's it's a force of nature. And I was saying, wow, wouldn't it be, he was playing at like 1.20 in the afternoon every day to the empty seats when we had an amphitheater. Right. Of, you know, and I was like, if I ever get to do something like this, wouldn't it be cool if, if Henry Rollins got to open for Jane's Addiction once that night when it was a full amphitheater? It would have been like, powerful and i so that's where a lot of that concepts i was kind to do wow. if i ever got a chance to do on my own tour I, at that point i didn't know but it was in the back of my mind that wouldn't this be cool so i implemented that and then in 1995 um we went out as the warp tour there was no vans involved no in vans 1995 involved, and we needed money to get involved you know so it was kind of like we were writing we were feeding checks out to kind of keep it going and uh and that's where you know uh, creative artists got involved with me. Uh, it was it was interesting. Everyone thought, why did you work with a punk rock 
agent at that point or something. Right. I but wanted, you went with, you're referring to CAA? Is yeah, that right? So okay. I went with CAA who didn't have any bands. That was the real reason I went they over there. They had no musical no artists punk at that, bands. Oh, no punk no bands. No punk okay. bands scene. Wow. And I was really like, people were like, and I said, well, you know, they, I didn't want too much influence. I wanted to actually create something myself. Um, and it, you know, was a relationship that lasted 25 years and, and in, I was totally broke-ass coming home from that tour. And in 1995. 1995, and I went right back to work in the clubs and venues. Wow. But And to try to pay bills, because we were broke. My family, my wife never really quite knew how broke we were until later on. Um, and I went right back to work. But then it was really interesting, because the tour kind of got legitimized, because people heard what a crazy first year that was we had sublime a bunch of pirates no doubt was on that no tour deftones weren't they as well deftones came back the second year okay but we had um quicksand yes nine millimeter yeah seaweed so it was a very it was no use for a name or no, no. use for a name yes. you know? yeah 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 Chris has some funny stories about traveling with l7 on a tour bus you wow know? and uh so we had this it was very eclectic when you think about that type of music at that point right but then in 1996 rumors spread that it was like the tour with no rules it was it was controlled chaos so which immediately attracted a guy named fletcher from the band pettywise pettywise yeah and that so that lifestyle he's like this is my, would be the perfect place for me <laughs> so when i tried to call his agent i got blown off totally so there was like a clandestine meeting set up down at billabong at that point because i was blending that action sports world and i was doing things in that world already wow. and we had this little meeting and, and they agreed to do the tour and then the agent calls me screaming as agents do because you're not supposed to talk to the bands directly and then uh wait hold on hold on hold on yeah. we are going so fast i have so many questions okay. all right to get a band like pennywise for 1996 yeah. i don't need the exact number but is it very expensive to get them or are they like hey this is a chance for us to be part of a super fun tour in the summer but of course we want to make a little money well you weren't going to get them when they everyone demanded a 15 dollars ticket price we were at fifteen dollars going out on a festival. Come tour. on, yeah, it was a festival tour, so the economics. And then it was kind of this strange thing happened because I met Fat. Well, I knew Fat Mike from working in the clubs. Yep. But down at South by Southwest, I hung out in an alley with him, literally in an alley one night and drinking a few beers. I did, you know, I had a lot of beers back then. South yeah. by Southwest, and I said, "Hey, Fletcher's doing this tour," even though the deal wasn't completely done. Right. And he goes, "Really? Then we're doing this tour." <laughs> So it, beca it became oh kind of my secret and it is kind of known and I'm doing an event coming up here where the bands used to all call each other and go, did Lyman say we're doing this tour? Are you doing the tour? <laughs> he said you're doing the tour. I guess we're doing the tour. So we had these two bands, which were kind of stretching the budget at that point of what we had. So is that Pennywise and No Effects then? Yeah. So this know, is year two. Year two. You did 95. You lost a boatload of money. I still have questions about that. Here we go to year two. Yeah, go ahead. So year two, we're like going in, and I'm like trying to piece it together. And there was a chance that my ex-partner, and some people become ex-partners for some of the things, he had convinced me that he had a friend at Calvin Klein. Okay. That would be a great sponsor for the Warp Tour. Like, think about 90. We're talking punk rock. Like, I'm trying to bridge this fuck corporate America right. lifestyle with maybe getting some sponsors. So, And he, at that time, Calvin Klein, at least for me, 
I associated the th- with them with Mark Wahlberg, Marky Mark then. <laughs> Marky Mark. Yeah. Right. So, so, I'm, so they convinced me, and they're going to fly off to New York, him and, and a guy named uh, Rob, who was a marketing guy, and they're going to go have the meeting with our last money. Like, we're scraping. I'm working every night, throwing the money in the account. And uh, by then, he, we were sharing, a, and he was kind of working with me. And, and then, all of a sudden, they flew off, and they got caught in a major blizzard. The blizzard of New York, 96, shut the town down. Okay. And that's when they finally decided they need to get those heaters that melt the snow. It was, this was prior to that. <laughs> so they get stuck on the runway. I get a call that day from Vans that said they'd like to meet with you. Okay, hold on one sec. Was CAA or you or your group purposely looking for a title sponsor because you knew that that would help the bank account? Yeah, we knew we needed sponsorship. I was going to have to bridge this somehow. Okay, who were some of the companies that you had reached out to? Oh my gosh, our first sponsor was actually Converse. Actually gave us a little bit of money in 1995. Uh, Sony PlayStation had given, you know, like five grand, 10 grand. I was so excited. But we really started figuring this out. And (laughs) so they fly off. They're stuck in New York. The meeting's been delayed a day or two. So I run down to Vans and I get put in this little room and uh, Walter Schoenfeld, one of the founders of Vans comes in and very nice, like a mentor. You get those mentors that you can, can, he knows you're not full of shit. Yeah. But even though I had to be kind of to get this deal done. Right. And then I was like telling him about, there's no way that you, like he goes, would you like to run our amateur skate program? I realized I was kind of interviewing to run, go to work for Vans or run their amateur skate program. <laughs> Not for them to be Not part of the warp Tour. Yeah. Oh my so, God. So, so I always tell people and my students, I go, you have nothing to lose at this point. So I go, no one's gonna come see amateur skating in, unless it's part of my successful music festival. The warp Tour. And he's like, well, tell me about the warp Tour. And literally in 15 minutes, I had a deal with Vans to become the title sponsor that year. Just for the first year? For the, for, it was a one-year deal. And then on the way out, he said, hey, Kevin, I need you to do a few of these in Europe for me this year. And I looked at him and I said, no problem, Walter. <laughs> I walked out and ran right to the post office to try to figure out how to do a passport because I didn't have a passport at that point. Wow. And God. those connections I had, and this is when it all starts coming back, when everyone thinks they can just jump in and be successful. All those bands from Europe that had come over and played Golden Boy shows, you know, GBH and bands from Germany, and just everyone was had played in a venue I had. So I, you know, I kept their, their not email at that point. Right. It was pretty much kept their contacts. Yeah. And I started calling them and saying, hey, we might be coming to Holland. I need to figure this out. So I had that support system. They want, they were like, whoa, Kevin, that's cool. You're going to bring skateboarding and you do some music over here. We'll come down and play the first show. And we'll be, and we were literally went that first year to Europe and we did shows and traveled around with a backpack. And Steve Van Doren, who I've wow. been associated with forever, he's very much, we're very similar in the sense that you just get out there and do it. And we traveled around and we were doing punk rock squats. We were setting up. And when the police would come, I'd say, hey, the guy that was in charge left in a Mercedes because it's always someone in a Mercedes in Europe that's in charge. And we were scraggly punk kids and we'd get back on the train and go do another show. But it was really cool because we, that's where we kind of got a little legitimized and um, legitimized in the punk rock more community, even though these, but when you had no effects and Pennywise saying, this is great. And then in 90, I think, you know, so we're not 96, you know, we're, we're out there and we're, we're, we're starting to get a little traction, but we're playing for no money. 
I got gotcha. you. And then we're, you know, the promoters are like, Kevin, we're only going to give you a few thousand dollars and we're going to make this work. And we had one, and, and in the 96 was uh, Mark McGrath. Remember Sugar Ray? Of course. Remember Mark them? McGrath was on the podcast. Remember yes. them kind of breaking at that yes. point? Yes. And I'll never forget this day because it, it always taught me a, a big lesson was we, they were selling like 70,000 records a week. Wow. But they were playing wow, on a wow, one-foot wow. stage. They were like <laughs> literally picnic table sometimes or plywood over the top. We had this little side stage. And we were down at the velodrome, the old velodrome where we were doing shows. And I was getting a lot of pressure at that point. Like, you know, I was getting pressure from K-Rock. I was getting pressure from the label. Move them up to the main stage. They need to be going to the main stage. And I'm like, you know, that's where I booked them. And, wow. and I, it wow. was, and I said, look, I understand if you have to drop off the tour it, and, uh, and it's not, but I want to talk to the band. So I went on the bus and, and talked to Mark who I knew from the shrinky dinks. Yes. Band. Yes. And I yes, said, yes. and I said, you know, Mark, get it. If you, if you have to leave. And the reason they would leave would be to Which, play to pretty big venues and make a boatload of money. Right. Maybe jump into the radio scene, you know, going that chase the radio shows or things. And I said, you know, Mark, you come from our punk rock world. You've written one hot song, Fly, yep. at that point. Right. I says, there's not a lot more on that record. You, can, you need to go write a bunch more of those songs. But if you stay out here, you're going to have the credibility of the punk rock community forever. And you know what? He looked at me and he goes, wow, Kevin, I wish someone else would speak to me that way. Thanks. We're staying. Just like that. And he stay, stayed yeah. on the whole tour. And nice. they were probably making 250 bucks a show. Oh. You know, and meanwhile, so, they're selling, as you said, thirty to 40,000 copies a week of Florida. <laughs> I think they pitched at like 70,000 in it, Jeez and they Louise. went out there. But, you know, I would just never forget a day that we almost killed Mark McGrath. Why? Because we were in Chicago, okay. and the promoter <laughs> was like, I'm not paying you unless all the bands play. Like, I'm not paying you. Like, you, you, you bring in these, and he was really strong-arming me, and it was pouring rain, and it was just like, we, we literally had no, cover, no proper stages, so we had blue tarps over the bands right? playing yeah and a, a lightning struck off the distance and mark got a shock in his mic it wasn't but but you know it got a little but it was like we had to get the show in so they played and then we had to stop but he did play so i'm like every band played and it was only like two songs they got to play so we got paid that day or i well, don't so know. wait so can you explain the business side of it at least how it worked those first few years because you're mentioning the promoter in the city was paying you but Warp Tour is selling the tickets for all the kids to go to the show. Right. Don't you get that money from the tickets? No. Or how did, how no, did that work? No, that goes into the promoter pool on a normal show. The okay. promoter's taking the risk. Maybe they're going to give us $30,000 for that show. And the promoter's responsible for getting the venue and paying the venue? Getting the venue. All the expenses are going to be paid. Your guarantee is going to get paid. All the expenses get paid. And then if it's a successful show, you're going to make a little extra money. Okay. Um, later on, the Warp Tour, we went to a straight door deal which is like when you go to a club and if you're playing a show and they give you $2 a ticket, I turned it into the largest door deal in the world. We took the majority of the risk. The promoters, we took it, the risk, we got no guarantee, mm. but I was willing to gamble at that point because I, right. I believed in the success of what the brand we built. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's very impressive just hearing your story right now. The years that you spent on Lollapalooza did the opposite of deflate you. It inspired you because you saw Ice-T and Perry Farrell, Jane's Addiction, all this stuff happening. But what led you to wanting to, I guess, focus on more of the punk rock scene and community, even though bands like Black Eyed Peas played yeah. the festival. I mean, it's not just solely punk, but that's kind of the feeling when you think of the Vans Warped Tour. 
Yeah, I was, you know, for me, it's always been about live. Um, this is about as far in the studio as I'm going to go. Like, I'm banned from studios because I'm like, just play the song. Let's, it's going gonna, it's gonna <laughs> to connect with a person emotionally. And that's about live acts. You know, for me, it was always about live. I loved working in the clubs of L.A. I worked at Lone Buck Auditorium. I worked at Fender's wow. Ballroom. Nice. I worked at all these shows. So I was always about the live show and the energy of the live show. So what Warped kind of transferred in, because we had gotten to this point where I felt bands that were that driving the heart, even like nine, the second year of Lollapalooza, the Chili Peppers. And... Unfortunately, we start. They start. Everyone started getting into these lighting sticks. It was like tons of lights, mirror balls, stage sets. I was like, those bands sing from their heart. They're they don't need that production to drive people into a frenzy. Right. The day right. you need those is the day that people want to sit in a seat and watch you play. Mm. Um, I always felt that uh, we we got too caught up in production and I'll never be on a Lollapalooza that second year. And we were spending so much time putting up the lights that sometime we were barely getting the sound set up before the doors opened. where I think like, if it sounds good. Right. Um, I also, you know, went to that daytime show, you know, warped always ended by dark one that helped with production because we had to move that show so quickly, but two working in the punk rock clubs, 90% of the problems were caused by 10% of the people under cover of darkness. So if you were going to L.A. was a violent scene, the punk rock scene, and kids were nervous. So if, if you're not having fun and you're worried you're going to get your ass kicked, you can't hear the words that those bands were singing that I felt were so important, mm -hmm. whether it was suicidal tendencies, bad. Those bands sang to my heart at that point of time and those fans. So I thought if I took them outside, those people causing all the trouble, which it oh did minimize their risk because yes. they, you know, we could pluck them out like chickens really, <laughs> right. as we did sometimes, you know, and you saw that. And that's why I never judged any of the bands because you always hear all people like, Oh, this band, these bands aren't as good. And later as, as we were going on warp tour and we got into the day to remember and pierce the veil and my chemical romance, yes. fallout boy, some of the old punks like, what are you doing? You sell, you know, this is music. Suck. I go, no, it sings the same way to the person's heart at 15 to 19 years old that someone sang to us. So who am I to judge that music? Now, what you just said makes a million percent to me, but I feel like it's hard to get that through some people's head who have been doing this a very long time because they give that exact same, like, oh, this isn't as good as my day. Yeah, it's not your day. Right. It's someone else's day. And that's what I think allowed right, us right, right. Um, to kind of keep going because I was always trying to pay homage to the past in some way. That's why you would see these like buzzcocks come out. Once right. In a while, yes. Yes. Or, yes. Or Joan Jett coming out or Billy Idol playing warp tour. Cause so I think you pay homage to where we came from, but we have to move forward. As towards the end of Warped Tour, you did that with like Linkin Park coming out. Yeah. Even though they still seem so fresh to me, they'd been around 20 plus years yeah. at that and point. That was, that was just, that was, you know, epic. And, you know, and I, and I moved on now to work with Talinda on our mental health work right. that we Talinda did with Bennington. the 320 Festival we did. Yes. And I'm working with the Talinda on a project with my USC students to, to do a mental health festival again in October. Great. Um, but yeah, they had those moments where it was like, you need to get, get a call. Hey, Kevin, you want to, let's figure this thing out for like, we had to keep it top secret. No one knew except then when they wanted to have select singers from current bands singing with him. Right. So they had to swear secrecy from their own bands. Yeah. It was yeah, a wild yeah. day. And then showing up and having an extra stage built when we got there for production and everyone asking and only about 10 of our team knew what was oh, going on cool. and then putting on the cardboard sign up on that blow up 
Lincoln Park at five o'clock. That was cool. Uh, yeah. Um, who are some bands that you saw and instantaneously you thought, yep, that's it. They're going to be superstars. Uh, this is going to be a very long career. And it actually happened. Well, My Chemical Romance, Fall really? Out Boy. They, okay. They'd show up at AFI. I thought AFI would be the most massive band in, in the world at one point. I think management, I think they made some fundamental, they overthought things too much. Okay. Um, but I'd see them play. And that's for me, that a lot of times was take that gamble. Like, oh, I'm going to, so with my chemical romance and fallout boy, I had them play like a couple shows in their van, like 2004. Yeah. And then I'm like, this music's, this is the, this is the moment in time. So I booked them a year in advance, paid them 500, five times more than whatever they made. So they're making 2,500 bucks a show, but we worked a whole year and that's where we launched taste of chaos, the taste of chaos tour. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Because yes. you know, and that yes. was yes. epic because we're now celebrating the used mm -hmm. record for, you know, 20 years. Right. And As we, you and I say to today, that was just three days ago when yeah. that debut album produced by John Feldman came yeah. out. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, and then we're sitting there going, wait a second, this scene could be really cool indoors in the middle of the winter. So I had my cam booked for the summer and then we went back and got the used and we had that, Kill Switch Engage, Senses Fail, epic tour of arenas during the hockey strike. We got great deals on the arenas and we were like, if you're willing to take a gamble, and we gambled on that show too. And then everyone blew up at once, which, you know, led to uh, Taste of Chaos traveling the world for a few years. Wow, you know, we did, amazing. You know, we did 20, 30 countries with that tour. What was it specifically about My Chemical Romance that you liked? Oh, just that connection. The, the kids that were tuned into them early mm -hmm. were singing. Just it, They had to be there. It was like, I have to be here. Not known by a lot of people at first. And then you just saw that summer. And then meeting, you know, Gerard, you know, just this really sensitive, sensitive. The whole band, Mikey, you know, and those guys. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I've been able to. And, I'm, I'm, and seeing what's going on right now with them, great. Um, and then let's go back to AFI because of all the compliments, that seems like one of the biggest ones. What was it about them? Was it the live shows? Was it the lyrics, the response of the crowd? Yeah. You know, Davey, those, another one that showed up in their band playing a small stage and just that, just the stage presence. Cause we were kind of going through this phase during that period where every band wore the backward baseball cap yeah, and with no identity. Yeah. And that's the era where we started saying, well, you have to have front people again, you know, Davey, you know, Bert, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. Great. We went through that really fun. phase where it was like interchangeable. Interchangeable baseball hat and, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I was like, music is about front people. Really is. Really is. I don't want the person on stage to, like, I could do their job. When yeah. it's Davey Havoc up there or Bert McCrack, I can't do that. No, you <laughs> no. know. I especially couldn't. I don't think Bert can do what he used to do when climb up the speaker sack and jump off oh every day. Oh my God, that was insane. You know, but, uh, you know, and you know, and then of course, uh, you know, I go back and, you know, Tim from Rise, just Rise Against. Yes. You know, just the, the way they, you know, the songs they were writing too, you know, to me, you know, it was, it was important. You know, I, I always loved having AFI, or not AFI, geez, Anti-Flag on the tour. They've played yeah. it at least 10 times. Yeah, yeah. And it was funny, being with Pierre yesterday, um, Simple Plan played, Warped Tour 17 times. Whoa. He told me. You know, oh I think gosh. I think the only band that played more on Warp Tour was Less Than Jake. Is that right? Yeah, Less Than Jake. Because it's weird. Ska never dies, really. Less Than Jake never dies. Because they put on that live show that even if you're not... And I'd watch them even towards the end. Yeah. It was like 
Young kids just getting tuned on for the first place, and you tell them to run around the mixed position, they're like right going with it. And so, uh, you know, I, I really had a, a, a great time, um, you know, and then, you know, towards the end, it was just it, the business. We were, we were able to navigate the business forever. And I think the trickiest towards the end was when we lost that potential to set up, help someone set up a record. Because that was always a great model because it was called the pilgrimage to Pasadena. My, I live out that way. Yeah. Was, it was the only time that I think like an agent went like east of La Brea. You know, <laughs> it's all foreign land, you know. Everything else you had to drive to. Right. If you wanted to meet with an agent, you had to go there. Yes. Now there's more of them coming out, you know, moving out that way. But everyone would come to my house and it was a really exciting time in late September, October. Um, and labels would fearless, hopeless. And we'd have meetings in my backyard and we would talk about bands and setting up records and they would play music. And, and I really got it because we were getting thousands of submissions. And I said, look, really let's focus in as a community epitaph, you know, Brett meet with him. And, and we would go through like the three or four bands that they're going to get, you know, okay, we're going to be putting a record out and, and we've going to, we can time this and, and, you know, we'll, we might be going to radio a little bit with it or, or something. And it got, you know, as the streaming industry has taken hold, we've learned how to kind of semi-navigate that right now. But there was this moment in time where everyone was like, we're never going to make another penny off of our music. We're never going to be able to do anything. Oh my God, we got a tour. And I had always worked with Warped Tour because there was enough bands willing to take a step back to move the scene forward. Right. You know, right, so, right. okay, maybe I'm going to take $2,000 less a show, $3,000 less a show, knowing I'm going to sell a lot of merchandise, but I'm also going to expose myself to new fans. Which isn't that the key for all bands? Like if you're going to play a show, whether you're the opener or you're playing in giant festivals, like there's an opportunity, I'm going to win that person over. They're hey, going to buy a ticket in six months but from before, now. Before, be, that was one. They would buy, we would see sales go up for the, but it was also, the, they might buy a record or album. And when that kind of stopped, the mindset was of a lot of people was like, I can't do this. It's not about long-term careers anymore. It's about, okay, aye, aye, I aye. need to go make my money now. And if I can, if I can sell more in a club, you know, make more money, not maybe play for more people, that was important. Um, so it got really tricky. And then, you know, it was towards, you know, we, we had a rough year. 2017 was very, it was like that year. You're going to have in 25 years, just everything went wrong. Um, fundamentally wrong with it. It just was one of those years. It didn't click. And that's where I was really like, you oh. mind getting into a couple of those things? I'm not even sure I can recall. Yeah, well, you know, just the basic, you know, the thing I saw over the 20, 25, almost 30 years of touring, the climate changing. And we were hitting, it rained all summer. We had literally like 25 straight oh, days of rain, which was always going to affect Warp Tour because you had 70% of the tickets were sold within the last 10 days of that show. Unlike shows that with seats or something, people buy tickets a year, like, you know, Paul Tillette a year ahead of time. You selling on me. It was like, right. I didn't get in trouble time. this week. I got 40 bucks to go to the yeah. show. It was very last minute. So we, when you had really bad weather, whether it was super hot or, and we were just getting it every day. So that was rough. On the other hand, we were kind of crossing over this world and it was really tough for me to navigate. And I was trying to learn how to navigate it. It was um, when we kind of got into this thing with uh, Twitter and internet. And um, I was like to the point where I always believe in punk rock, we can have a communication, even yes. if we didn't agree. Right. I wish society was that way right now, but we could sit there and find some common ground. Sure. Well, it was also, I didn't know all the bands. Like I grew up with all the, most of the bands up to that point. They were my peers we toured with. Um, um, I could get honest opinions from certain people. And then we could go out and 
and I could go understand what I was touring with, but I, the tour got pretty young. The crowds got younger. I made a really bad mistake. I look back now. Um, there was that YouTube culture. Yes. And I brought some YouTubers on the Warped Tour. Okay. I brought some of that scene thinking, wouldn't it be great if they can come off the internet and kind of build a, a, a personal thing? And the crowd got really young. Uh, we had some issues with artists, you know, as we see um, some legit and some made up being attacked online for some of their personal right. decisions. Yep. Um, I believe in due process and being the spokesman of that scene, I wasn't making these like cutting people off at the knees right away or, you know, like chopping your, we saw with bands being kicking people out of bands. And I yes. thought there was some things. So, I, but I thought people did like deserved an answer. So I'm answering Twitter. Mistake. Can you win on Twitter, Kevin? No, no, you, no can, you can't. You can't, you can't <laughs> debate. Um, you can't educate, you know, it, it, it's a, was a bad, and I, but I believe that people, and I started going down that rabbit so hole. So wait, people on Twitter were reaching out to you because they were mad that a certain artist was on, on the, the bill yeah. who may have been up to something that was not good, but we, yeah. you or whoever, we didn't know the final answer. I didn't know the final, and this was prior to them being on the tour. I got gotcha. Or something. Okay. So I'm trying to do the research and I wasn't giving them a quick enough response or a quick enough answer. So the attacks came to me. And like I say, all death threats come after midnight, usually. Mm. So if you've ever gotten any, to, you know, just they're after midnight, you notice it. Right. So I was getting a lot of death threats after midnight, which are liquid courage, gives a lot of people that reasoning. And it got really, really nasty. And, you know, later on, um, you know, I know I took a lot of heat during that period. Probably some deserve it and, and a lot of it not. But being maybe a leader of a community... Um, and people didn't know how to navigate that. So it was really kind of hurt because a lot of people would come to me and say, Kim, this is ridiculous. All you've done is help people and everything, but I can't say anything because my band might be attacked or I might be attacked aye, aye, aye. For, for defending you. And I'm like, well, okay, that's cool. But I was really kind of going, wait a second. Um, this really wasn't what I kind of signed up for, especially when those attacks became personal against my family and oh. my daughters and the community. And you know, I was losing sleep over it, um, a lot of sleep over it. Um, I also started getting people investigated and things. And, you know, and you found, you know, we, we all know the term trolls. Right. And right. Um, I became like a target of a lot of trolls. You know, I, I, we, we ended up nailing one person who was attacking me under like 68. No. Profiles. Oh, online. my God. And, you know, so it was a, it was a really Sorry, difficult man. time for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I think. You know, I, the reason I was able to make it as long as I did was I never took advantage of the scene I was part of. I gave, tried to give back as much with all the nonprofits and everything we were always doing. And, and um, I never got greedy on that tour. You know, ticket price was still like $45 in 2018. So I just started thinking like, okay, I'm to start thinking about that second phase. Like, what, what, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Um, being on the road was also becoming very physically hard because anyone who knows me or works is I don't sit in an office right. and I, I wasn't right. going to ride a rascal. So, you know, yeah. it's like I was always on my bicycle or I was running around. Um, I was very engaged. So being on the road for two months and with that grinding, we would do, you know, 25 shows in a row sometimes. And, and I was getting attacked by some people within this like crew people. Why are we working 25 days in a row? Well, they didn't realize that the economics made it where their bands wanted to work 25. They got 25 straight paychecks right. with a days off right. cost money on tour. Mm. And you were only playing 30 minutes. So the bands were like, we can knock this out. And you were getting a paycheck from you for every day, Kevin, stack that time frame. do as many shows as possible. 
I wasn't making more money by doing that necessarily because I had expenses and some of those shows we were losing money on just doing them, but we'd pick up a day on a Tuesday in Jacksonville or something that maybe we could pick up enough money to cover the band fees or something that day. Um, so it was really hard. And, and I, I, and then I chart and I, first time I ever had gone out to my industry and I was holding dinners in my backyard to get input. Yeah. And, um, and really not getting like any really helpful input, to be honest. What kind, what sort of things were you asking? Well, I said, how, I, I want to keep this going, but how right. are we going to keep developing acts if the main stages need all the money? How do I support those other things? We we'd pretty much topped out on sponsor. We were getting a lot of sponsorship, but I wasn't putting it in my pocket. We were pumping it back into the tour. Okay. People don't realize yeah. most people take that sponsorship money and that's profit. We were we were subsidizing the tour to mid seven figure numbers. Wow. Just to, you know, like wow. you, know, you know, like you know, seven, you know, four to six million dollars a year just to keep the tour at the level I wanted to deliver to those fans. Because I didn't want to diminish the quality of the festival because it was known as this like lifestyle carnival we're going to yes. and it was like right sensory overload and dude i people were like well just you know cut some of this out and i'm like well if we do one it doesn't give the labels that ability to develop artists um the biggest fear for me ending that whole thing was those nonprofits that we had started and had become so ingrained in warped i mean you made so many people aware of different nonprofits that were taking place out there. Yeah, someone I said this weekend. Really could cool. you imagine this summer if you were out with what's going on in I, society? How the wow. <laughs> where it would be? Um, so I just made that plan. I said, twenty-five years, longest-running music festival, and we'll wind it down over these Jeez. next couple years. So 2018, I decided that I'm not going to concentrate on bringing new kids to, into the scene. I always wanted to bring young 14, 14 year olds to the show because they could go, it's, it was daytime, their parents could pick them up. We started letting parents right, in parents, for Right, you had the parent thing happen. Parents could come in a warp Tour for free. Oh yeah, and, 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 right? I think, and these parents would be like, I, I think they went and like kidnapped kids at 7-Eleven to get in free the warp Tour. <laughs> you know, because you do anything in life that, that you do anything in life that, that is meant to, someone's gonna try to take advantage of it. We started to get taken advantage of. Oh. We had a parent show. You know, it was always a, it was it was meant as an organic thing when in two thousand eight, two thousand when the economy was bad, and I wanted to allow parents to come with these kids and give them a, a great day. Right. So we we went through you know little phases, and and then I just said, you know two thousand eighteen, I'm only going to book bands that I know, uh, crew people that and bands that had real tour managers real people around them that can work with them because a lot of bands are showing up with like their friend from high school is their tour manager that, you know, I'm going to go out in 2018, have a great last summer. Uh, uh, we did. It was the second biggest one we ever had. All you have to wow. do is say we're leaving. Yeah. And then in 2019, we did those two days in Atlantic city for me, building that city on the beach was a lot of fun. Two days at shoreline, which was my kind of homage to San Francisco and Bill Graham who inspired me. And then we did our event at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when they opened the exhibit. Wow. And we buttoned it up in a great way and got in that van the last day when I left San Francisco. And I look at my wife and I go, I'm good. But are you able to sit here today and understand how many, not only how many bands you helped and supported, but how many people you made happy with the festival over so many years? Um, I do at times, um, I think it's making sense to a lot of the, in, well, I think with our industry that's so driven about financials, you know, you always read the box office scores, you read this. Um, 
and we were never we were, we were never that tour because our ticket price was cheap but we sold a lot of tickets and we'd, we'd show up in these but but you know we're so driven by the dollar mm-hmm. but i'm thinking now i look at it that there's a lot of people out there in the world that were influenced by that tour um, there's actually a filmmaker making a film right now about people who went to the war period and inspired them to do other things. Nice. Um, and nice. I'm kind of helping. He's a young filmmaker that was inspired to start making films by going to the Warp tour. Uh, so I think now you take something away for a couple of years, starts making a lot of like weight. And are you thinking of bringing it back? Um, it would never come back as another 40 city tour. Okay. You know, it's just, you know, I'm now what, 62. Whoa, you look incredible. You know? Holy uh, mackerel. Physically, wow. I'd, I'd have to run it the same way I did. I, I couldn't change that. Yeah. Um, we maybe do some, we, there's discussions always. I, I'm getting a lot, I get thrown a lot of things at me. And I, I'm just at I this bet. point, you know, we have this pandemic that just lurked up. And, and I, I'm at this point where I'm entertaining kind of creative ideas but, you know, right now might not be that time. Everyone decided, we knew everyone was going to rush out on tour and the crowd, and we're starting to see that weakness with the economy. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited about some of the stuff, but I took that to when USC in 2018 asked me to come and, and be a professor there. Yeah, Kevin is a professor at USC, what is the class title called? No, it's not a class. I teach five classes. Five in, classes in the in the fall and four in the spring. Yeah, I'm a full time, like full time professor. They're at paying your, you a salary, which is super funny because the first time I got a call, <laughs> we were all on a tour bus leaving a venue in West Palm Beach, and yeah. you know, you're always after the end of the night, you're having a couple of beers with friends. They're all hanging. I had friends out on the road there, and all of a sudden my phone rings and it comes up on the Bluetooth and the tour bus, and I hit answer. I go hello, and they're like, "Is this Professor Lyman?" You've never heard people laugh harder in their entire life oh at that point. Oh, my God. And it's kind of grown on me. And what I've been able to do now is probably place about 30, 40 people that are working their way up in the industry. And I'm trying to teach them that you can do good and do good business. That you can make a living in this business, and it's by treating people well. Because we always talk about this business. It's just step on people, this, this. You don't have to. I did it. No. My, I did probably I could have made a lot more money. I would be a very wealthy man if I did all those things you could do, could have done. But I lived a nice life. I have raised two daughters who are doing well. My daughter is now the day to day manager for Avril Lavigne. So no she's way. out there right now at twenty six. Wow! And she's bringing the knowledge because she toured with me since she was fourteen. But I, these students I get to work with. What are their goals when they come to your class? What well, are they looking to do? Well, when I first went to USC, I think the type of student that was going there was like, I'm going to become the president of Universal Records. Well, I go, that's usually like some steps between that. You, you <laughs> thought that it's, you don't just go out of here. And be, but that's the kind of approach I got a little bit. The type of student we're getting now are like, okay, what can I do? Oh, can I go help at a festival for Live Nation? Can I go work a uh, street fair. I've got someone doing a, a, you know, let's just get engaged and do as much. And also we can do good. So that's hence when we blended with to Linda Bennington on the 320 project, which is uh, Chester's birthday, right. mental health festival. Uh, it's great because I tell them there's a lot of ways and avenues in this business. It's not just going to work for a major agency. That could be an option. There's independent, there's boutique. You may be able to create your own agency because the knowledge, you, once you get that knowledge, you can go now. It's not, there's no hidden secrets. 
Um, you can find that. So it's really fun to me because I had a student reach out yesterday. Who, he was a little cocky when I first met him. Now he's just like, I went out and did some run. He keeps me posted. I ran out of show. Oh, I'm helping out at this thing. Kevin, you got anything? I go, well, there's some charity dog thing. So can I help? You know, just getting that experience because that's what I did. I went out and worked those 12 and a half years of yeah. every night of the week and then started stepping out. Make other people look good, do other things, and do a little good in the world. And I think the public, and especially with what's gone on in the last the short term, they're looking for bands that stand for something. I think we went through a phase where no one wanted to stand for anything because you're going to get attacked. Right. There's someone's right. going to attack you if you stand for something. I always felt, well, that's, that, that's, that means, and I think we're looking at our artists. And we're gonna we're looking for artists that will stand for something. I'm not sure how Billy is going to accept that he renounces citizenship. Though. Billy had, Joe Armstrong was just on stage in the UK, right? Yeah. yeah. So I was just thinking, like we were we were having fun. This I go, can you imagine that moment? He renounces his city, like the rest of the band, like what, yeah. does, that, what does that mean? Mike Trey Cool's like, and Mike going, what does that what does that mean for us? And you see the manager going across the stage, no. Going, oh my God, I just lost the whole market. Like, you know, because I think if you renounce your citizenship, you can't really come back to the country you renounce. So, if, you know, I think he's going to have to, we'll see. If but he, also, Billy Jorms on Green Day, they made an album called American Idiot. Wow. And in 2016, I remember, uh, this next song is dedicated to our new president. Oh, I mean, you know, they've always been that band. And if, if he's renouncing his citizenship, yeah. I just see a lot of people like sitting there right now going, what does that really mean? Yeah, but, you know, I'm people are pissed. Sure. And that's good to see people pissed. Um, Kevin, the students that you have now, have they inspired you to, I'm not, accept is not the right word, but to be proud of the younger generation because it sounded like there, there was a small hiccup towards yeah. the end of Warp Tour with the much younger generation. Now you're with them, actually. I think I am a very big supporter when you're around your peers sometimes. You're like, oh, the millennials are this. I go, look, there's, everyone's going to have fucking fuck-ups. <laughs> we had them. Yep. Um, but you know what? By being around these kids, I'm inspired every day. Really? And, uh, and seeing some of the stuff they're doing and how smart they are. And I say a lot of times, we have to get out of their way and let them do it, you know, in, in general. And that's the problem with America right now. We're trying to, we hear this, oh, you know, it was crazy. It's not the America that we used to have. Well, who fucking thought we we're going to have America of the 1600s? But, you know, did we go just go back that far right now? Yeah, right. We need to accept that they ha understand the technologies. They understand the world we're moving forward. Um, and let them run it. Let them go for it. Now, I always feel that I've been nice enough to enough that I could be the Walmart greeter of the music industry for them. But, you know, um, I'm going to let them run it. And all I'm doing when I'm teaching is showing them. I, when taking my classes, I start the class with, they always use these things called rubrics. And I didn't know what a rubric was okay. when I started teaching about how they, a professor wants to see the project delivered. I'm like, I'm breaking the rubric. Because you know what? I broke the rubric of the music industry for so long. I made the music industry my own. I created something that, I don't think will be duplicated if it, and I don't think it should be duplicated. I think it, someone, Lollapalooza, everyone said Lollapalooza, I was duplicating Lollapalooza. I go, no, I'm creating something for a different scene. 
Right. I tell my students, be the smartest kid. So it's fun when I can discuss hyperpop. I get respect because I, I try to under, appreciate it. Now, it might, I'm not driving down the road tonight, leaving your house, going hyperpop. But I can appreciate the emotions that that spells out in the live setting. So I tell my students, become the best expert in hyperpop and create something for your scene, what I did with the punk rock scene. Do they understand punk rock scene or they're, they're do, do they need to understand it? They're or? appreciating it more. Gotcha. I think what they do is they go research who I am. And I try yeah. to transfer it. And I don't say the good old days of punk rock. I said, look at where you're at now and become that person within that scene if you want to be, you know. And if you do, and, and what's wrong with being in punk rock before? Did we sell out? I guess I sold out in 95. Probably sold out before then. <laughs> um, did I do it? But I, I got to be around something I loved for over 40 years and passionate about and you were all you always wanted to help people and keep a scene the scene going and make sure people had a really good time yeah so what you know what's what, that, that's what i always loved about you and warp tour and well you know and what's came up was recently we've seen the when we were young festival get announced here we go yes and my phone was like blowing up in class i was in class and i get out of class I'm, i thought someone you know died or some tragedy is going on in the world and that's what we get now when your phone blows up sadly and i i saw it and i go wow this is cool i go smart Las Vegas, destination, audience, 35 to 50, probably right. 30, 30. Uh, you know, right I would in say there. even a little bit more yeah, than that. You know, like audience, having money from still the pandemic, that money, yep. people are going to want to break out. Um, are you not jealous? Are you like, do you feel validated? It's like well, they're kind of doing a, your thing well, with all the bands that you had, but in 2022. Well, what happened was... Some people, one being Amanda Moore up in Las Vegas, who used to work for me, who now does all the residencies and things. A lot of people started calling going, Kevin, and Andy from Fearless who's involved. So I was like, you know, I, w I was like, well, they said, Kevin, you, you, know, you should be, you know, come up. Or, or, and then they're like, wait, why don't you do something? And I go, well, I don't want to be like tagging into what they're doing. But if I can create something unique to do good in the world that day, mm -hmm. I got an idea. So I worked through it. So on October 21st, it's going to be super fun. You should probably come up. You'll like it. Okay. October 21st, we're doing at Brooklyn Bowl. Yes, I know Brooklyn One Bowl. Yes, yes. One of the yes, things yes. we did on the Warp Tour was have a charity bowling tournament every night on a day off sometimes. And if it, we had a day off in Milwaukee, I would get a bowling alley and we would do a bowling night to raise money for charities. So... On the 21st, so I start thinking, oh, bowling out. So I get the bowling out turn. And then we have a stage. The venue is great there. So I'm like, how do we make something really cool musically? So I teamed up with Matthew Leone and um, Nathan, who were in Medina Lake. Yep. And we all know about their charity, Strange 90s, Strange So we're going to be doing a Strange 90s night the night nice. before. Nice. And we brought up John Feldman. He's coming up. Jared from Bowling for Soup. We're starting. To, really, this is all coming together. So I'm, I'm over-programming already. I'm going to have a Strange 90s charity show. We're going to have a bowling alley. Yes. And I'm on the board of the Punk Rock Museum. So that has an opening. So now we're gonna have the opening on the 21st in the afternoon. The Punk Rock Museum's gonna open, open during up. the When We Were Young yeah, Festival? the night before, on Friday. Do after. people know this yet? Well, no, I'm telling you okay, first. Okay, here we go. Let's go, Kevin. It's that's, you know, Kevin's just, I, that's how I get things done. I okay. Just, there's no secret announcement okay. or press thing. Yeah. So the night, the day, during the day, they'll do something at the museum, like, you know, the press and the opening and the ribbon cutting and all the stuff. And that night, we're going to blend the after party into this night at Brooklyn Ball. Wow. And wow. Um, maybe I've just, like, so we're working on getting the gimme gimmies up there for that night. 
So you'd have the strange 90s sing along, the gimme gimmies. And then I'm starting to talk to a bunch of other now label. People are starting to talk and go, well, well wait, what are, you got a whole night to program, Kevin. We got someone that maybe wants to come in and play. Uh, but so there'll be bowling. We'll raise some money. Anything I can do to help yeah. in any way to give back. We're, we're, we're going to do an auction. We're going to, and then we're going to have a van. Um, it looks like we're going to have the original sublime van tied into the, when we were young festival and a brand that I work with beatbox and kind of have that as a, so people can take photos, a photo op. And we're going to run cool. a van for all the bands back and forth that might want to go see the museum while they're waiting to play or after they play. Wow. That weekend. Damn. So Kevin. once again, over programming, everyone right. goes, Kevin, like how many more things you want? <laughs> and something came up yesterday. I'm like, well, maybe we and someone goes, Whoa, slow down, Kevin. Like you got already six things going that night. You know, you're infectious in knowledge. Your, your energy is infectious and your yeah. knowledge is infectious. And, and sitting here talking to you about it, it's you know, been fun. Just kind of, you know, and I'll get my students up there. They'll come up and volunteer, and which they do at a lot of things. And, and they get that experience. I did a, a, a show up in Las Vegas for with Macklemore for um, YouTube and Google, uh, a Recover Out Loud Festival mm -hmm. in the spring. So I'm out there doing things. Um, some people, you know, I, and I'm just finding that it's, I'm finding my groove again. I needed to go back and learn yes. To love music again i had gotten to a point where i think i was just listening to music to book there was just that last couple mm -hmm. of years i wasn't listening to love music again and now i'm back loving music again awesome that's great man is there a mistake that you've seen band make bands make in 1995 that they still make today or did are the mistakes different as they go along no it's all the same overthinking Can, really overthinking and not committing and then like I always say, the only rock star I and there's other ones too, but you know it's 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 Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl to me is like the guy that's like, sounds fun. Let's go do it. Let's jump in a van. Let's go do that. Yeah. Oh, I'll I'll record Red Green Gold's record. That drummer's cool. I want to get. He doesn't overthink, and I've seen that happen. Bands making mistakes, overthinking. So, like every time there's an opportunity, they have eighty-seven meetings about it. Yeah. Five thousand emails. Meetings, or they're always looking for a better opportunity. Thinking, oh, and I used to have bands, I don't want to, you know, but I'd, I'd offer them Warped Tour, a few bands, and then they would say, for a certain price. And I knew the manager was looking for a better opportunity that summer. And then he would come back to me later, and I love the band so much. And I'd go, sure, I can put them on for half the money now that I've spent it on everyone else. And then what do they do? They would come because they he would. had nothing, because he was always, they're always, everyone in this world is always trying to look for the better deal. Mm. And I don't think we need to do that. You know, just get out there. So I always, every time, you know, Dave wants a barbecue. He's got a barbecue. He's going to, you know, just whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we overthink this business way too much. And it, it, I, I've seen it backfire on so many bands. Um, if you were a young band, what, what would you do today? You're 21 years old. You and three of your screwball friends are like, we want to make music. What do you do? Well, start doing that but then really start figuring out because we have become more business like are these the kind of people that i want to be working with in 20 30 years and how are we going to continue doing that so it's a lot of times with the managers and young people i work with i'm like immediately have to one you have to scrub their background to make sure something doesn't pop up that's going to be a hiccup later on and address it if you can or, or figure out if it needs to be a new person in the band and two start figuring out what their um outside interests are because a lot of us need to have that outside interest to develop at the same time. So monetarily, maybe you can start 
a joint career that to support you until you can get to that point that something wow. sustains. Oh my god! So that's what I work with my students on. I teach branding, marketing. It's weird and punk rock because that would be that's so counterintuitive branding, but it's true. You're a brand. I'm a brand. Right. We're all brands in some way. Um, and you know that was you know it, it hasn't bad. And the people that attack you in life, you have to get used to, and you have to figure out how to move on. And then at the end, as I'm kind of winding down here. Um, you know, in life in general, as the other day I, for some no. reason, you know, you know, you don't know, we lose a lot of people early on and we lost some great people last week. Uh, people that weren't known to a lot of people outside, like bug, who was the tech for the descendants forever passed away. Sonia Catalano, who ran my skateboard contest forever on warped her passed away last oh, week. Sorry. We lose a lot of people. It's, it's, it's weird. We compartmentalize so much to get through this world, but it's like you're winding down and you just got to say. Hey, anyone that any of your naysayers or people that hate you, come stack up your life next to mine. Happy any day to sit down. And, you know, we're all going to make mistakes and you learn from them and you move on. Everything you said makes sense. And some of it is easier said than done. But I will try to apply that to my life. And I'm sure people watching will try to do it for theirs as well. Do you ever have celebrities come to your class, musicians to speak, or it's not that vibe? And, you know, once. I've had a couple, but really, it was weird how I never... Now I'm kind of reconnecting, like playing golf with Pierre. Yeah. Uh, Is he a good golfer, and are you a good he golfer? He good. You know, no, I'm getting better. <laughs> okay. Because you know what? I'm not stressed. <laughs> right. When you're going in there, and you're on your phone, you're working, you know? Uh, you can make those five-footers now, you know, right? It's, I, you know, I'm, I'm still not good in any way, but I throw that charity golf tournament every year. Sells out down in Orange County. We raise money for Music Cares. We're in our 13th year. We just had our 12th. Amazing. Or no, we just had our 13th. We're going in our 14th year. Um, it, and we just create... It's another golf tournament where you go to a lot of them. It's over. We're over-programmed the golf tournament. Everyone has a great day. Um, and, and yeah, no, I just, you know, just, you want to be challenged, but it's also, you have to have your priorities right now. And for me, you know, I'm, the show I was helping in the Azor Islands that's going on with you new know, coming up in July, it's scheduling issue. And I got them all the right people. I helped them and I did all these things, but I said, you know what? I got to start prioritizing my wife. And we had this trip to Greece that's booked and I can't cut it in half to go do the show in the islands. I have great people that can go in and do it. Right. I'm glad you're enjoying your life right now, man. Yeah. Seriously, it's good yeah. to hear. It's very, very inspiring. You have to enjoy it because, man, if you get up by 8 o'clock this morning, I was a little bummed out just hearing all the everything going on on the radio and the news, you know, yeah. and there's certain points you have to realize that um, you, can, you have to take it in small bites. You help where you can. You do what you can do for your community. A lot of this shit's out of our control, and um, it'll, it'll eat you up. Um, how do you like doing your podcast? Uh, we, the podcast was like, one. I had an life. option oh, okay. during the pandemic. My yeah. wife gave me an option. Yeah. Oh. You're going to go write that book or start a podcast in that garage because <laughs> I can't deal with you here all the time. You know, I only had two days of teaching online. She's like, go do that. So I had a, I, I had a lot of fun. We've taken a little break on it, but I had a lot. Of, I mean, it's a lot of fun. It was like a good fill time. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, we, we'd have things in my backyard. We did one where we're at the, towards the end where we had cooking and, and interviews and there was like 40 of my students got to come and, you know. Uh, members of Farside and Fishbone were Come jamming on. in the backyard. Really? Yeah, oh yeah. And we had filmed some live band stuff. Who knows? You know, someone's like, this would be a great TV show. I'm like, who needs a 61-year-old TV host? Right. Not, <laughs> you know, with the AARP channel, if they did that, I'd be cool. You're very youthful, by the way. You don't look your age, any of that. And you've got all the history. You could easily do it. We talked about some bands, or you mentioned bands that were a no-brainer when you saw them. You mentioned My Chem. Fall Out Boy, AFI's up there, but are there bands 
that you saw that were like, oh my God. And then all of a sudden, we never heard from them again? Uh, I, it was when I listened to a song, and I, I think I'm trying to know if I call it one of the New Radicals. Oh, yeah, New Radicals. I heard right. that when I first heard that first song, I'm like, I need them. I need them. And then I, and they go, oh, Kevin, they got one song and they're not good live. You know, and then we never, now I heard there's some music coming out from them again. Really? Yeah, something came out recently, you know, who knows, music comes in. Yeah. Um, you get what you give was that song, you right? Know, and, 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 there, and there was some moments in time it. more that I took the, I started to have people, and I know that people were trying to get on my tours, but I, I trust that they'd understand that the band was live, good live. And I wasn't going, when I was working at the clubs, I'd see everyone. And later on, I had to start depending on some people to say, oh, this is, and, you know, they sent these, a few bands got sent out that I booked that just didn't deliver. And they were too young or maybe not, didn't have the experience. Because you had to be good on stage to, at the Warped Tour or people are going to go to six other stages or stop by booths or Absolutely. something. And I felt like a, there was a band called The Millionaires. Okay. And I just felt like they were kind of thrown into the pit of despair out on Warped Tour. It was mm. too hard. They weren't ready to play live. Um, but then you take gambles, you know, Katy Perry. I, you know, I, yes. I, you know, I, I was doing a soundtrack for a movie that we were kind of called the, called the endless bummer about a stolen surfboard. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Jason Flom paid, played a song for me, a cover song. Um, and I go, it wasn't, I kissed a girl. Was no, that's that? prior. This okay. is, was, uh, she did an, um, outfield song. Okay. Uh, Use your love tonight. Wow. That I got for 500 bucks for the movie. And he played me, he played me. You're so gay. And, um, I go, wait, she's punk. I want her on Warped Tour. Who's her agent? Of course, it was my agent. We never told me about her. Yeah. Go figure. And I go, oh, I want her on Warped Tour. And, you know, putting her out on Warped Tour and then bringing her into L.A. for that kickoff party I used to do where it was always at the Key Club or somewhere right. or yep. Club Novo. And we get bands to play. And the first night she got up on stage and she had just put her band together. And they were really bad. I was sitting next to Haley uh, Williams. And I look at her and I go, I don't know. I might have made a mistake. <laughs> but you know what? She pulled it together. She learned, and she still, and she's awesome. She learned to be a good community member. She's always given to charity. She played my 15th anniversary party where we raised, and it was a tough show. She was playing with Bad Religion, Ice-T, mm. Pennywise, and a bunch of bands at the Club Novo. Yeah. It wasn't really a, 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 a crowd. And you know what? Um, she just was awesome. And standing out in the rain, just remember her just powering through and, and just being a person that I think has gone on to be a great community member. And we'll say, some bands deny they were ever on Warped Tour. I always wondered when they did the G-Eazy yeah. documentary. Yeah. They could, skipped right over his Warped Tour phase. Really? Yeah. There was a, covered everything else. But when he was on a small stage on Warped Tour, learning to be a live act. Huh. And another That's act weird. I think that was just blew me away that I wish I could have worked longer in their career is Youngblood. Oh, Youngblood. Yeah. Dom. I mean, you know, I Dom, was yeah. able to bring them out and when they were, just fresh. That's an artist that I could have wished I could have done, been doing much more with. He's, they are, I watch his energy on stage and that reminds me of something in 1996 or 2009 or something. It's just, it's a throwback, but he's so modern at the same time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so, so uh, you know, I got to work with some of those. Actors. Oh, that's and Now cool. I'm just worried that, you know, with everyone touring again and the scene, are we going to be able to break new acts? Like, it's harder because there's, you know, you, right. you take two headliners to do a tour. Um, it's hard. Are there, are there going to be those spots to develop new acts? Or are they going to come up super fast and we're not going to hear from them again? You know, um, I thought a band that was like, got hung right in that moment of time that I hope people will stick with was like Pale Ways. I think that she's got a star. 
Uh, it's great to see Poppy developing. When when I first got turned on Poppy, she was too young, probably not ready yeah. to go. Yeah, Poppy, but yes, watching yes. her develop into a person that can command a stage and do what she does very, very well. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that we can develop artists because, you know, when you're sitting there and talking to bands like Les and Jake and they're 30 years been around, that's, that's a great career. Great career. And um, I hope that, that these people have the same type of career that not only those bands had, but I've been able to have... And I, I just hope we haven't been, they haven't been treated dispo as a disposable commodity. Hopefully not. And hopefully it's not just one song they've created. It's two, three, four, five, and they know how they're going to yeah. have their career go forward. We've been here over an hour. Oh, I yes. have one last thing. Yeah. Back to work. Were you also, or did you also have to be a referee with the bands or everyone got along for the most well, part? It, it was one of those things that, you know, I was started out, I was a peer. Yeah, I, with like the bad religions. Yeah, I and did all some that. stupid things like jumping bikes into fire. You know, I was like, oh, that's what we used to do. You know, as it progressed, I either became a mentor or a disciplinarian. Like literally getting called to bus one, people would freak out. Kevin needs to see you on bus one. Like, like, and people, and I'd be like, sometimes it'd be like, wait, I just want to tell you had a great set. Oh, you have to, wow. you know, you have to, or you know, hey, you know, but there was like moments and and what's the most mean you had to be? Kicks people off uh, tour, I kicked right? A couple bands, I, I, the Mean Reds, I think was the name of the band, and another band. Well, they just were very disrespectful to the tour. Mm. You don't have to endorse the sponsors that are supporting the tour, but it got to a point you can't sit there and talk shit about them because you come back and eat the food they're providing. That money you're getting as a small band on Warp Tour doesn't come from you selling, helping sell tickets. And we had a couple bands, and I just said, "You're you're fucking hypocrites. If you want to follow the tour and protest, what a corporate fuck." I am great. I, I respect you for that. And I will actually give you some money to print the signs to stand out front, mm. but don't come up on the stage and, and bad mouth the brands that allow you to be on that stage. Then you're just a fucking punk bad rock business. was not about being a hypocrite. Right. And that pissed me off. You know, I sent sublime home the first couple the first <laughs> year for a few days because you know what? I was, I had my whole life on the line there and they were taking too much time of my time. And it didn't really hurt our relationship. I, they came back and, you know, I always believe if I had to, you know, I didn't just arbitrarily, if I had to do something, it wasn't just off the cuff. I'd, I'd think about it, I'd sit up, figure out how to address it and hopefully teach a lesson, you know? Yeah. You know, I had a band that, uh, it's the uh, Vanna, great band, great band, but kind of a ragtag bunch of people and they were great just ragtagging on the road in a van and and i heard that they trashed a walmart parking lot with all their they cleaned out their van and the manager was out and he was pissed off but he got pissed off they don't get pissed off at the bands they get pissed off at the warp tour so i remember one morning having to go out and then the merch guy just rolls over bong falls over <laughs> he goes, hey homie what's your problem i just love that so I didn't, I didn't, I don't, didn't want to kick them off the tour. I just say, go away for a couple of days, go take a break. Yeah. Think if this is important, if it isn't, you can go home. If it is come back, but you know what? Don't trash a parking lot in a public, you know, don't trash it at all, but to bring it hard on, a, on the warp tour name that I've worked so hard for, because if you fuck it up, you don't, you ruin the chances for the bands behind you. You know, I had that yeah. moment with Kid Rock um, when he was on Warp Tour. I paid him $100 to be on Warp He was on Warp Tour for 100 bucks. He started on Warp Tour. bucks. And I knew he was, man, he, I mean, I knew he was going to become something. Like, he had it. You know, you, you, you meet someone immediately, you know they have it. Right. 
And they were trying to, uh, there was a challenge. You couldn't curse on stage at Pompano Beach in that, that county. Okay. Can you imagine the Warped Tour not cussing on stage? No. So we would have signs everywhere and everything. But his publicist, it got back to me, was they were going to challenge the rule and have him arrested at that show. Okay. And to make a big statement. Yeah. And I pulled him aside and I said, hey, man, kid, you're going to be able to stand on your own one day. You're going to stand out there. You're going, to, I, you're going where, you're going places. But right now you're under our umbrella. You're under my umbrella. And you know what? If you fuck it up for the bands that will come behind you, it's not cool. And you know what? He challenged the law right up to the edge. The crowd would repeat the curse words. He didn't say a word. And the promoter was freaking out because all the cops were surrounding, basically going to arrest him. Oh, my God. And I, had a, I went out in the crowd so they couldn't find me right away. I watched everything he did. And then I saw, like, they were going to pull the plug. I ran over and you, I said, you do not pull the plug on him because he did not break the law. You know, now we went on, you know, I think we got, I don't know, for a while there, there was something, you know, but he, I mean, he became who he wanted to be. Right. I don't have to agree with it. Yeah. But man, he, he lives his life the way he said he was going to. Yeah. And how was Limp Bizkit greeted when they did Warped? Um, it's funny. I'm doing some interview for Limp Bizkit. They got an anniversary coming up here too. Uh, it was different because we were crossing into that like new metal that was an era of time. A new scene was coming in. Yeah. And Limp, Fred Durst wasn't necessarily, he was, trust me, he's out there amongst these people. He was pretty cool. He was very calm. Like he wasn't <laughs> some of the things later on, but he was treading lightly, let's just say, okay. for me out there. I had no issues with him. I'll just never forget when we played his hometown, Sanford, Florida. Okay. And we had this fucking promoter that was just I, I don't know I kept him in business for a long time and now and we basically showed up in a strip mall parking like like every strip mall in Florida it had a, a dollar liquor store it had a dollar pitcher beer bar a laundromat uh you know like a 99 cent store perfect warp tour everyone could resupply and get drunk at the same time while we were doing a show but he put up no fan he had no fences so we had to put Buses around and everything. And then his manager at the time came in and started yelling at me for something like Fred's the biggest band in, oh, I go fucking Stanford? Okay, that's what I am saying a lot at this point. And, uh, and then you really saw like how he had connected because he was just connecting on a national level at that point. It was just starting. But that crowd there, he kind of showed where he was going to go. Gotcha. The fans are going to, you play hometown for a lot of time, you're going to see where it could possibly go if it's done right. All right, Kevin. We've been an hour and ten minutes. All right, we're gonna wrap. Okay, yeah, I gotta go. You, okay, yeah. you, you, have a, you have a phone call to make, right? I don't a know. A big call. I, I don't know. It's like Kevin Lyman. For so many years, my life was every minute, minute, minute. Actually, I got to meet someone who we did. I worked with this charity called Pass the Bass, or a brain injury. A, a kid who played bass and was in a brain injury many, many years ago, and we let him come out, and uh, we became very close. His name is Dylan Flynn. Oh. He's got a charity called Pass the Bass. Okay. Uh, um, I'm meeting uh, Fender. Just made him a beautiful bass with his logo of his oh, nonprofit. That's on so, it. so sweet. I'm meeting nice. those people over my house today. Okay, then we will for sure wrap right there. Oh, what's the best music festival today? What's then? The, I'm wrapping. This is. I swear it's the last. Well, question. I'm telling you know. I, in this way, I think some of the smaller one boutique festivals. I think we're really going down to those one day festivals. I always said my my funnest festival was the It's Not Dead Fest. When I brought all the old punk bands together. Oh, yeah, right, yes. And, I, and everyone's like, Kevin, you need to do three days. I go, no, punks only need one good one day. One day, one good day, that's it. One good when day we were young is one day. Yeah, one day. It's, three or four days. Those people don't need two days. Right. One day, you're tired. Yeah. You're sunburned. You don't have the stamina. 
Um, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I, 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 I like some of the stuff that uh, Golden Voice, these, the, the one-day festivals they're doing, they're, some of these two-day festivals. I think we're going to have artist-curated. Fe- I've, I've been saying it for years. Artist-curated festivals seem to be working really well, and one-day festivals, because we are a culture of festivals now. Well, 91 was just a start, but now it's ingrained in our DNA and that DNA starts with going to, used to be going to Warp Tour until eight o'clock at night. Yeah. Then you went to the three day festival and laid around in the dirt and took Molly all day long. Right. And then you <laughs> just started going out to more your niche, you know, and it grew. But now we're coming back with that later. Now we, it's ingrained in our DNA. We want to go, but we don't have the energy for more than a day. Yes, it, I totally agree. All right. Kevin Lyman, congratulations on everything in your career. Thank uh, you for thank coming you. over to my house. Super fun. You've like, you've made so many people so happy the memories that you've created for all of us we will never forget them and the fun time in my life now is i actually have some time to talk to you for more than two minutes in a parking lot running by so right i remember the last time i saw you was at a concert you were actually right in front and we had like a nice two-minute conversation the lights were on and then everyone was like i gotta talk to kevin lyman and then i just went and left so all right thank you pleasure thank you for kevin lyman i'm striker thank you guys so much for watching tuna on toast have a good day happy snuggles bye-bye Woo! That was fun. Thank you. That's another episode of Strikers Tuna on Toast. Promise it'll get better. Most likely. For sure.